Well, this week we are uh, continuing in our uh, study through a bray sheet, uh, through uh, Genesis, and uh, we come to a very interesting, uh, very interesting chapter, chapter 38 of uh, Genesis, okay, chapter 38. So this is kind of like an odd chapter in that it doesn't seem to fit into the Joseph story. Last week, we got all involved with Joseph and his brothers and, and uh, the whole thing of uh, the relationship of Joseph and his brothers. And, uh, and now we have a chapter that kind of seems to like, uh, like needed to be in the Bible somewhere, uh, and so it got stuck right here, you know? Uh, it doesn't seem to have to do with the other, uh, with the other um, chapters. Because if you look carefully, if you look at the end of chapter 37, okay? Uh, if you look carefully at the end of chapter 37, uh, it says, Meanwhile, the Midianites sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, Pharaoh's officer, the captain of the bodyguard. That's, you know, Joseph. And then if you go to verse 1 of chapter 39, you skip chapter 38. You go to verse 1 of chapter 39. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, uh, and Potiphar, an Egyptian officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the bodyguard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. So you could actually remove chapter 38, and you'd have the whole story, right? So the thing about chapter 38 is, uh, you know, you have to ask the question, why is it even there? And that helps us to understand what's going on, because sometimes when you read these stories, it's Yes, you get like some nice moral, uh, you get some nice moral lessons, uh, and that's a good thing. The devotional moral lessons that we learn are important, and we'll look at a few of them here, uh, but, but it's important to get the bigger picture of, of what God is doing in the world and what God is doing through these people. It's always a very important question, not just to view it as like one of Aesop's fables or something, you know, you know what I mean? Like, uh, we read these texts and we learn some moral lessons along the way, but sometimes we miss the big thing that God's, uh, and the big thing that's God's do, that God is doing is not necessarily just working in the lives of these people, but he's using them as links in a chain of something far larger. Now, the reason I bring that up is because, right, without even reading a verse yet, it's important for us to understand that even about our own lives. Okay, that perhaps the things that are happening to us are not about us, but about something that God is doing that's bigger than us. Now, you know, Tamar, uh, Tamar, please, Howard, call her by the right name. I'm going to get to that in a minute. But uh, uh, maybe a Tamar and Judah had no idea of what really, the, the big picture, what God was doing there, see? And so isn't it amazing? There may be things God is doing in your life, in the life of your family, that you have no idea the ripple effect or what it means in the big scheme of things. And it's always important as Messiah followers to get that and say, okay, you know, I don't know why this is happening in my life. I don't know why this thing is happening in my life. But wow, isn't it something that God is at work, even if I don't know? That's called hope, you know, and trust and faith and all those, right? So, uh, so that's one of the things you get in this chapter is that uh, God is doing something uh, that actually is not uh, directly related to how the characters in the story do their thing. So we'll, we'll see what I mean. All right. So what's happening here? Well, the first thing we want to understand, we want to understand something about the time frame of 
uh, in Joseph's, in Joseph, even before we get directly, uh, right? And that is that in chapter uh, 41, go over to chapter 41 and look at verse 46. This is important. Now, Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through the land of Egypt. Okay? All right. So what's happening uh, here is uh, Joseph is in prison, right? And now he comes before Pharaoh. How many years have taken place since Joseph, since the beginning of Joseph? 13 years, right? He's 30 years old at this point. He was 17. So 13 years have taken place. Sometimes it's hard for us, uh, you know, to get that when we read these stories of the Bible, that it didn't happen like, well, on Monday... This took place on Tuesday. This happened, and by the, by the time we get to Friday, the whole story's done, right? So many years are taking place. Approximately 20 years altogether is really the story of Joseph, a little more than probably 20 years, okay? That's helpful when you go back to chapter 38, because in chapter 38, you have Judah goes off somewhere, uh, gets a wife from the Canaanites, has children, and the children grow up. Well, not grow up in our in our uh, culture, but they're old enough to uh, uh, have children of their own, which is a lot younger, usually the norm in our in our world. Uh, and uh, and then go back, and, you know, and uh, and, uh, and and the children, the, the 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 children at the end of chapter thirty-eight, after Judah is uh, his children grow up, he has grandchildren. And uh, his grandchildren, at least one of them, comes to goes into Egypt. So that means uh, that uh, it, during the time of the whole Joseph story, and even though Judah's around with his brothers, you know, uh, he was he was out doing his own thing a little bit during this period of time. Okay, so that's important to understand in the in this uh, in this story. So here, beginning in verse, and it came about about that time. Okay. That Judah, uh, and that time is the beginning of the Joseph. You know, when Joseph is 17 years old and he gets sold into go to. Okay. So it came about at that time that Judah departed from his brothers and visited a certain Adulamite whose name was Hira. Now, that's interesting, by the way. An Adulamite. Adulam. Does that sound familiar if you've uh, read the Bible before? There's a cave and this, and David hid in, right? It's kind of interesting. Uh, also, uh, you know, there's an interesting verse in Micah. Uh, in the first chapter, I think it's in the 15th verse, and it says, the glory of Israel will appear uh, in <laughs> So it's kind of interesting. Now, what is it about this place? Well, every place that's mentioned in this chapter, actually hundreds of years later, ends up being uh, uh, in the land that belongs to the tribe of Judah. Now, at this time... There was no tribe of Judah, right? This is hundreds of years before that, <laughs> okay? Right? Hundreds of years. I mean, the Israelites still have 400 years to be in Egypt uh, before they come out. Then there's 40 years till they get to the land. So it's almost 500 years earlier, okay, when this takes place. So you got to, you know, get the, the time frames of these. Things. So these places uh, are would ultimately be in the land of Judah. So that's kind of interesting, isn't it? Always how those things kind of play out. However, at this time, uh, Judah has left his family, okay? He has left his family. Uh, uh, and, and that's what it's, uh, it says, departed from his brothers and visited a certain Adulamite whose name was here. 
And Judah saw there was a daughter of a certain Canaanite whose name was Shua. And he took her uh, and went in with her. Now, you know what's interesting about this is uh, that uh, we don't read the name of the we don't read the name of, of uh, Judah's wife, okay? But later on, she will be referred to as Bathshua, Bathshua, daughter of Shua, which interestingly, this is all just like interesting, like go and do further research, that uh, in one particular place, Bathsheba is referred to by the same name. They're not the same people, okay? Because that's even more years, <laughs> right? That's like seven or 800 years apart, all right? So they're not the same person. But it's just kind of interesting, isn't it? Uh, how the name, why, you know, how did she get that name? Interesting to do when you, okay. All right, so she's the daughter of, of uh, uh, Shua, right? And she conceived and bore a son whose name was, and named him Ur. Then she conceived again and bore a son and named him Onan. And she bore still another son and named him Shelah. And it was at Chazib that she bore him. Okay, so... First of all, something is wrong, right? We haven't read anything like the uh, 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 rest of the story yet, but something's already wrong, right? What is Judah doing in this place? And why does he take a wife, a Canaanite wife, and, and has a, a whole family of Canaanite, uh, or half Canaanite children? If he did the Ancestry.com, they'd come back 50% Jewish. That'd be all right, you know? But anyway... Uh, they're, they're uh, these uh, a Canaanite uh, children. We already know, see, as the readers of this, we already know that's wrong, right? Uh, because uh, think about this. All the way back when Abraham was alive, now that's before this, right? So now we're going back backwards, right? When Abraham actually uh, died, actually, it's a better way to say it. When Abraham died, remember what was said about him? Uh, you read about it in the 26th chapter of Genesis. It's like a eulogy when a, after Abraham is dead, right? It's sort of like a eulogy, and it says, Abraham, in verse 5, Abraham obeyed me and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. Now, there were no yet, uh, you know, commandments, uh, statutes, and laws yet, like in stone or anything like that, but there was a way of life, Right? There already was the Torah way of life, the way of the Lord, as it's called back in the 18th, right? So uh, even though it was not articulated, there was already this way of life that would become articulated in the actual uh, uh, Torah. So therefore, uh, so not, well, I'll say, first of all, not only that, but wasn't it really important like to Abraham and really important to Isaac that their sons go to the old country to find wives? from their family, and not marry Canaanite women. Like, this was really very important. So it's already, see, we already know that, that, that uh, this was important. So we see Judah is doing something. He's going off the reservation here, okay? Judah is uh, doing something that is sinful, uh, that is wrong, okay? Uh, without even knowing what's going to happen yet, but it can't be good. All right. Uh, then it says in verse 6, Now Judah took a wife for Ur, his firstborn, and her name was Tamar. Okay, her name was Tamar. But Ur, Judah's firstborn, was evil in the sight of the Lord, so the Lord took, took his life. Okay, so now you have this situation, which in the ancient world, 
was very knowledgeable that this is what would happen, that if you have a, a, if a, you have a childless couple, right, I, and the uh, husband dies, the brother I, uh, takes her so that uh, the, the name continues. Now, this is not exactly how the Leverite uh, marriage works, because in the Leverite marriage, it was the responsibility of the brothers. But here, it's the father who is uh, uh, orchestrating everything. But the point for us is just so we know this, that this, that a number of the laws in the Torah didn't just drop out of heaven. You know, the, uh, yes, they came from God, but there was already... Uh, a way of life uh, in the world, uh, in the Eastern world at, at that time that included, you know, some of these things. And so this concept of the brother going in with the, with the widow of, of his brother was not foreign. And so we see that happening here. His name's Onan, right? Then Judah said to Onan, go into your brother's wife and perform your duty as a brother-in-law to her and raise up offspring for your brother, like we just said. Onan, now see, Onan here, he's thinking, what's in this for me, you know? Onan knew that the offspring would not be his. This all has to do with inheritance, you know? Uh, so it came about that when he went into his brother's wife, he wasted his seed on the ground in order not to give offspring to his brother. He, would, he made sure that he would not be the father of, uh, of uh, tomorrow. But what he did was displeasing in the sight of the Lord, so he took his life also. I mean, uh... You don't want to displease God here. You know what I'm saying? Okay. So here, uh, one might say that uh, Judah is 0 for 2. Uh, okay. Or Tamar is 0 for 2, depending on how you look. Okay. All right. So now, uh, in verse 11, now Judah is thinking, I have another son, but I'm afraid he's going to die like my other two sons. So I'm going to bring Tamar into the house, and it, you know, but I'm not going to. I'm I'm not going to shell out to, to her. But I'll bring her in. So it says, Then Judah said to his daughter-in-law, Tamar, Remain a widow in your father's house until my son Shelah grows up. For he thought, I am afraid that he too may be like his brothers. So Tamar went and lived in her father's house. So he sends her home to her father's house. Uh, but it, and she's thinking, right? Uh, uh, when Shelah is ready, I'll, uh, you know, I'll go in with him and have children. And uh, uh, Judah is thinking, no way, this isn't going to happen. Now, here's something else to understand. Shelah is not like a little boy. He's not like, uh, there's nowhere in this text that says, uh, Ur and Onan were approximately the same age, and then Shelah is like 15 years younger, and we have to wait many years for him to grow up. In order, no, they're all about the same age, but Shelah is the youngest. So perhaps another year had to go uh, uh, in in this to take place. Because the reason is, is because all this has to take. Grandchildren have to come before they go to Egypt. <laughs> See, and so we know that that tells us that uh, Ur, Onan, and Shelah cannot be that have that big of a difference in their ages. Okay, all right. So we see this is going to become the dilemma that Judah is created by himself. Okay. Now, after a considerable time, Shua's daughter, the wife of Judah, died. So the, uh, uh, again, we don't read her name, just the daughter of uh, Shua, Judah's wife. And when the time of mourning was ended, Judah went up to his sheep shearers at Timnah, which is probably not the same thing. Yeah. Okay. And he and his friend Hira, the Adullam. And it was said to Tamar, someone, you know, it was said, nobody knows who said it, but somebody said to Tamar, behold, your father-in-law is going up to Timnah to shear his sheep. So she removed her widow's garment 
and covered herself with a veil and wrapped herself and sat in the gateway of Enain, which is on the road to Timnah. For she saw that Shelah had grown up and she had not been given to him as a wife. So here you see Tamar now sees the handwriting on the wall that uh, uh, she uh, is not going to uh, have given this son and she's going to remain a widow. This was very dangerous in, uh, at that time. This is not the 21st century uh, that we're talking about. It was very dangerous to be a widow uh, uh, at, at this period of time because, you know, there was no, like, social services, okay? And not only that, but nobody really cared about orphans and widows, not the way that they do today. Now, in the Torah, the law of Moses, you, you have provisions for orphans and widows, okay? That was very progressive, uh, frankly, okay? All right. Now, also here, there's nowhere in the text, this is where some things are, uh, we don't know. There's nowhere in the text that uh, uh, it says, uh, and, uh, and uh, Tamar became a harlot, okay? Or Tamar became a temple prostitute, okay? Now, she's going to be uh, depicted that way, okay? But all it says is that she took off the widow's garments and covered her face, all right? Now, this is what uh, Rebecca did, by the way. She wasn't a widow, but she covered her face when she met Isaac, right? Now, for all we know, see again, now, for all we know, Tamar just didn't want to be recognized. For all we know, she didn't want to be recognized, okay? Uh, uh, but the way it plays out, you know, she is not uh, a totally innocent here in that, uh, you know, uh, she and Judah end up uh, having, uh, uh, having children together, right? Okay? So we don't know. You know, so, some things we just don't know. We have to be careful reading into that. Boy, you know, you could relay a lot of things in our current world over this, and, but who knows, right? Okay. So it says here uh, in verse 15, when Judas saw her, he thought she was a harlot. It's important. He thought she was a harlot. For she had covered her face. You know, there's a lot of uh, commentary on this issue of her covering because there's a, a number of other ancient documents besides the scriptures that talk about how actually cult prostitutes uncovered this. Isn't that interesting? So we don't know. It's, there's just some things we don't know. But we know that it happened. That's what we know. <laughs> All right. So he turned aside to her by the road and said, Here now, let me come into you. For he did not know that she was his daughter-in-law. And she said, What will you give me that you may come to me? Now, again, there's different ways of understanding that. Did it mean that she was enticing him? Or did it mean that uh, he was going to do this and she wanted to make sure that she got something out of it? You know what I mean? I don't know. But we'll see. There's a big lesson at the end. Right. All I'm trying to say is you don't want to read into the text simply what you've heard. That's all. You want to read it for what's actually okay. And a lot of times, what's actually there is not enough for us to make complete judgment calls on what's on where everybody's at. Other than it happened, he said. Therefore, I will send you a kid from the flock. Like thanks a lot. <laughs> you know. Uh, so she said, moreover, will you give me a pledge until you send it? And he said, what pledge shall I give you? And she said, your seal and your cord and your staff that is in your hand. The seal and the cord represented in the ancient world, it was like a, it was like a cylinder. The seal was not a, that kind of thing. You know, a seal, like seal of approval. 
It was actually like a little cylinder with a cord inside, uh, and, uh, you would, and you would wear it around your neck. And it was sort of like, by giving this to her, it was like, his, like a signature, you know, like saying, this is me. And his staff, which represented, uh, could represent a lot of things. Uh, but uh, one thing's for sure, it, it, uh, you know, uh, he was a son of uh, Jacob, uh, and it certainly identified who he was, right? Clearly. Then she arose and departed and removed her veil and put on her widow's garment. So now, I, uh, oh, I, I, no, I skipped a part of the verse. So he gave them to her and went into her and she conceived by him. Then she arose and departed and removed her veil and put on her, uh, her widow's garment. And so now she uh, goes back. When Judah sent the kid by his friend, the Adulamite, to receive the pledge from the woman's hand, he did not find her. And he asked the men of her place, saying, Where is the temple prostitute who was by the road at Anath? And they said, There has been no temple prostitute here. See, that's kind of interesting. So she was, he thought she was a harlot, but evidently nobody else recognized her or didn't notice her or anything. So he returned to Judah and said, I did not find her. And furthermore, the men of the place said, there has been no temple prostitute here. Then Judah said, let her keep them, lest we become a laughing Okay. After all, I sent the kid, but you did not find her. Judah, right now, I, I, appears to us very, very prideful, bad, just bad, right? In, in the way that he uh, is conducting himself. Now it was about three months later that Judah was informed, your daughter-in-law Tamar has played the harlot, and behold, she is uh, also with child by harlotry. Then Judah said, bring her out and let her be. Which is, uh, like, according to what law is that? Uh, that's like excessive, right? Excessive. Uh, and, and so basically what happens now is Tamar is seen, she's pregnant and there's no man. That's like really bad news. But she has uh, his things, right? And so uh, she has preserved herself. It was while she was being brought out that she sent to her father-in-law saying, I am with child by the man to whom these things belong. Right? And she knows it's him. And she said, please examine and see whose signet ring and cords and staff are these. And Judah recognized them and said, she is more righteous than I, inasmuch as I did not give her my son Shelah. And he did not have relations uh, with her again. All right. So that's really the end of the story. The last, the last four verses are very important uh, for now. This is uh, the end of the story. So at the end of the day, what happens? Uh, that uh, Tamar uh, is with Judah. Uh, he uh, evidently is uh, now convicted right? She is more righteous than I, right? Uh, and, uh, and, and so you see uh, the end of this episode. All right. So there's some things, uh, there's some nice moral lessons we could learn, but, but what is the point of, of um, you know, of, of this episode uh, in, the big, in, in the big story? But first, some uh, lesson, right? Okay. So uh, we learned, first of all, Judah is no saint. Right? He's hanging around a Canaanite village for a long time, takes a Canaanite wife from the Canaanites. We see that he does not fulfill his promise to Tamar. She resorts uh, uh, to, to uh, meeting up with, with Judah, and this is what happened. Judah has relations with her. 
The truth comes out and he's convicted about it. That's what happened. So one great lesson you learned, do not separate yourself from the community. That's an important lesson. Clearly, Jacob, Jacob, Judah, Judah, okay in this, okay. Judah leaves his family. He leaves the environs. He leaves the, his people. He leaves the community of those who are in covenant relationship with God and goes off on his own. And so he makes a decision when he goes off on his own. He, he uh, marries the daughter of Shem. What ends up happening is a series of events take place that lead to uh, great uh, uh, sin and, uh, uh, you know, and problems. And so sometimes, right, isn't this a great lesson to learn? That uh, when we go off on our own, oftentimes a seri- we, we make a decision and it leads to a, a series of events that we did not anticipate and we did not want to take place. And so very important that we, that we stay in the community, right? So that's what a great lesson that is for our young people or for any of us. Uh, and, and there, you know, this, this uh, uh, transcends just this kind of story. But whenever we uh, separate ourselves from the community, like just we go off on our own, we become like lone rangers. It's never good. It's not good. Should never say it's not good, right? That's why you read so many passages in the uh, New Covenant about one another, one another, right? Uh, and so that, that in and of itself is very, very... You know, the Bible says bad company corrupts good morals. Uh, and that's very... And that's, uh, that's true. We may start out okay, but we go off, and the next thing you know, we're involved in this and that and the other thing, and we never anticipated that life would turn out. So that's one lesson uh, that we learn. Uh, we learn here uh, now uh, about three significant people in, uh, uh, in this passage, right? Judah, first of all, Judah and... Okay, so one of the things that we know about, uh, that we know about Judah, wow! You know, Judah is like a, a five-star Bible uh, hero person, you know, uh, in that... Uh, the tribe of Judah is where David comes from and where the Messiah comes from and, and all that. If I was the one making all this story and putting it all together and, and everything, I would have the, the, the Messiah definitely come from uh, Joseph. Uh, you know, definitely come from Joseph. Even as we learned last week, Joseph is like a type of Messiah, you know, rejected by his brothers. Remember we learned that last week? We talked about that. Uh, but what you see here is... It's sort of setting us up for the day in the, uh, in the kingdom of Israel when there would be two kingdoms. A kingdom of Joseph, really, which is called the kingdom of, led by Ephraim, the son of Joseph, right? Uh, and, uh, and then the southern kingdom of Judah. So you kind of, all through the, uh, this, um, uh, the whole Joseph story, including this chapter, uh, sort of we see that uh, Judah is like a main character, Right? One of the things that we see here uh, is Judah begins very wrong and very, uh, very sinful. I mean, think about it. He, he doesn't want to kill Joseph because he thinks maybe we can make some money, right? Uh, and, and so Joseph is sold. So Judah is very seen in a very bad light there. And then at the beginning here, Judah is certainly seen in a very bad light. But then it's, you know, at the end of it, he, uh, he's convicted and then, and then you begin to see this turnaround. 
It's kind of like a pivot. You begin to see this turnaround in his life, and he becomes the spokesperson for the brothers. He saves his youngest brother's life, and uh, and so on. And then we read uh, uh, later on how this great blessing is going to come upon his descendant, right? So it's sort of part of the uh, redemption of Judah. We see where, like, the testimony of so that that's something else that we uh, we hear, okay? And then there's Tamar. Then there's Tamar. Tamar is a very interesting uh, uh, person here. What most of us know mostly about her is, is that she's in the lineage of, uh, of the Messiah, right? Uh, the lineage of King David, the lineage of the Messiah. And we read about uh, another Tamar, a daughter of David. And so the only place that, her, that this name is ever used is in relationship to the tribe of Judah and, and, uh, and children. of. That's kind of, that's kind of okay. Then, uh, though, there's another person who could be the other one. Uh, that uh, has uh, a very important role to play. There's another person. It's not Judah. We talked about him already. It's not Tamar. It's not Shua. It's not Ur or Onan, right? It's not uh, uh, Shelah. Ah, Now we come, as someone once said, to the rest of it. All right? Verses 27 to 30. Here, you could say, is the as to maybe what's going on. Now, all these other things we've said are true and, and helpful. It says, And it came about at the time she was giving birth, that, behold, there were twins in her womb. Moreover, it took place while she was giving birth, one put out a hand, and the midwife took and tied a scarlet thread on his hand, saying, This one came out first. But it came about as he drew back his hand, that, behold, his brother came out. Then she said, What a breach you have made for yourself. So she named him Peretz. And afterward, his brother came out who had a scarlet thread on his hand, and his name was Zerah. So first of all, just as you don't want to call Tamar, Tamar. Okay, that's like, that's not what she, that's not her name, right? Which, by the way, uh, leads me on the bunny trail of, like, Haggai is not Haggai, all right? Uh, And I could go through it. Habakkuk is not Habakkuk, all right? And a half a dozen other names that, that an English, right? This name is not like, Tony Perez, who played for the uh, Cincinnati Reds, all right? It's, it's not Perez, it's Peretz, Peretz. That's how the name is, Peretz. It's a Hebrew name, Peretz, okay? All right, just so you know. All right, Peretz. He plays a very important role uh, in future history. Not so much in everything that he did in his life, but in the legacy. So it's very interesting. Turn to uh, uh, chapter um, 26, not 20, 46, chapter 46 in verse 12. Okay, so it says there, now, now what you have here are the sons, the, tw- the names, notice in verse 8, it says, now these are the names of the sons of Israel, that's Jacob, right, sons of Israel. But if you go down to verse 12, then it says, and the sons of Judah, Ur, Onan, and Shelah, and Peretz, and Zerah. Uh, and then notice, then it says, uh, but Ur and Onan died in the land of Canaan. And then it says, and the sons of Peretz were Hezron and Hamul. Now what's in here is, this is the only place in this where the grandchildren of one of the sons of Jacob are men. In other words, the children. of It's telling us that this, this son of Judah, uh, now, turn uh, for a second to um, Ruth. Uh, uh, chapter 4, book of Ruth. Okay, Ruth, at the end of the book of Ruth. Okay. All right, so verse uh, 11. 
And the people who were in the court of the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, both of whom built the house of Israel. And may you achieve wealth in Ephratah and become famous in Bethlehem. Moreover, may your house be like the house of Peretz, whom Tamar bore to Judah through the offspring which the Lord uh, shall give you by this young woman. Isn't it interesting? It doesn't say the house of Judah. Judah is the, uh, is the son of Jacob, but it says the house of Peretz. This child born of Tamar is like a significant person, we learn. The house of Peretz, the family of Peretz, this, this child of Judah uh, is, we don't read a whole lot about his life. We don't read very much at all about his life, but he is this significant person in the link of the chain of the hymn, okay? Then uh, we could turn to another place, and that is in First Chronicles. Who knew we'd be in First Chronicles, right? First uh, Chronicles chapter 2, at the beginning of the genealogy. Now remember our MSI class on, on genealogy? Okay, anyway. These are the sons of Israel. Again, you have this, these are the sons of Israel. Reuben, Simeon, this is chapter 2 of First Chronicles. Uh, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, Dan, Joseph, Benjamin, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. The sons of Judah were Ur, Onan, Shelah. These three were born to him by, see, there it is, Bathsheba, Canaanite. And Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord. He put him to death. And Tamar, Tamar, cough it up. Okay. And Tamar, his daughter-in-law, bore him Peretz and Zerah. Judah had five sons in all. Then notice in verse 5, it's the sons of Peretz were Hezron and, and uh, Hamul, right? Now, uh, if you were to follow this uh, all the way down, we see that it's the sons of Hezron. The sons of Hezron, who are the sons of Peretz, the son of Judah, uh, who will lead to King David. And then, of course, in the Gospel of Matthew, in the Gospel of uh, Matthew. We see uh, this here, right? The book of the genealogy of Yeshua HaMashiach, the son of David, the son of Abraham. To Abraham was born Isaac, to Isaac Jacob, Jacob Judah and his brothers. To Judah were born Peretz and Zerah by Tamar. And to Peretz was born Hezron and to Hezron Ram, to Ram. See, notice, it only goes, Zerah is irrelevant. Uh, Peretz, the, the sons of Peretz. Make, uh, make all of the difference. So what I would suggest is that the main reason that this chapter is here, remember what the, uh, if you go back to uh, chapter 37, uh, yeah, go back to now Genesis chapter 37 and the first verse. Now Jacob lived in the land of Canaan where his father sojourned in the land of Canaan. These are the records of the generations of Jacob, right? That the reason that chapter 38 is there is because we need to learn where Peretz comes from. You have the 12 sons, and then there's one grandson that uh, plays this huge role. Now we read about, see what's fascinating. So what do we read? We read about Judah's grandchildren. And who are the other grandchildren that we read about in the story of Joseph? Joseph's, uh, 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 Joseph's children, right? Uh, Jacob's grandchildren through Joseph. Joseph and Judah. Joseph and Judah, you know? Uh, very, very important. We read about their grandchildren. But through the Messianic line is Judah only, right? And it's very important because this issue of Judah and, and, and Joseph, 
that even though the brothers uh, reconnect at the end, it's like the whole thing is like a microcosm of the history of Israel. Because what's going to happen is, is that Joseph and Judah are going to be at odds again, right? Uh, in the Bible history of, of Israel, Judah, uh, Judah and Joseph are the northern and southern kings. And what do you read in Ezekiel uh, chapter uh, 37? That they come together at the end. You know, when the, the bones come together and life comes and, and all of that, that Judah and Joseph will come together. And that signifies, frankly, the, the, that's the consummation when now there's unity in Israel. And at the same time as, you know, all Israel shall be saved and all of that. But the, the, the unity of, uh, of Israel, see? Uh, and so, it is, so this chapter just uh, uh, shows us a lot here about Judah, and, but where the child comes from. So the great lesson for us, the great takeaway is not only in the providence of God, God takes all of these really dis- deficient people and does great things in their lives. There's nothing great about Judah. Tamar, this Canaanite woman, parents, this child of a relationship that should never have taken place, plays this significant role. And so in our own lives, it may be us, it may be other people, but perhaps we even know people who are born out of bad relationships, you know? Uh, And sometimes in our culture and in our world, people make judgment calls about us as a result of that but not God, right? Uh, in the providence of God, uh, you know, uh, God takes these situations and works them for his glory, and God is at work in the big scheme of things. So nobody's a lost cause, you know? And so that's something that we learn here. Think about David, another child of, who comes from Judah. Boy, he is not the stellar uh, he is not the most moral person in the story. Judah is not the most moral person in the story. God takes these people and uses them for something greater than themselves. See? something. So it's not so much about Judah and Tamar as it is about the birth of this child, Peret. And that is very, very, you know, very important, very important uh, uh, to learn. Uh, and so important for us to recognize, again, that God is, you know, uh, indeed at work. And so I, uh, what you have here in, in chapter uh, 38 is this story uh, really about how God takes uh, Judah, uh, who did wrong, Tamar, questionable in the text, right? Uh, and you have this, uh, this child. Uh, who is uh, going to be uh, part of a link in the chain to the coming of the... And so it's kind of like the story of Judah, like a micro... micro, I mean, the story of Joseph in miniature. That here, you know, uh, you have all these unfortunate events and what you meant for evil, God meant for good. You see it, you know, sort of in miniature... uh, in the microscope microscope of the life of of, uh, Judah. Uh, I, and, uh, and so uh, uh, how wonderful it is to recognize that God is at work in this world. Just like we said last week, God is at work in this world in ways that we may not understand with people and situations. 
uh, that uh, we may think could be lost causes, but God is indeed at work. Uh, and so it's important to view this, not so much just from the horizontal, this is the episode, but wow, God is at work, and he is at work in all of our lives and families. Uh, and like we said last time, you know, the secret things belong to God. Why does it play out this way? Maybe, maybe it's because what, at the end of the day, we see God over and over again as the deliverer. God who takes the very bad situation and then turns it uh, uh, for uh, his future, you know? And we see that all the way through the book of Genesis. Every single person in Genesis that's a main figure messes up somewhere along the way, and God must come to them. And so he is the refuge, right? He is the rescue. Uh, and so let us find a solace in that, uh, as well as the, the great moral lesson of don't separate yourself from the community because unforeseen consequences can happen that we don't intend. And, uh, and certainly, uh, you know, Judah and Tamar's, Judah's life and Tamar's life were not made easier, you know, but God used it. All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you, God. Uh, for this chapter in the story of, uh, of, uh, of Joseph. Lord, we learned that it's not really the story of Joseph. It's your story. It's your story of working through these sons, uh, Lord. And uh, thank you, God, that uh, you redeemed what would have been a very bad situation. And Lord, uh, thank you, God, that you are a God of redemption. Lord, so I pray, Lord, for our own uh, children and grandchildren and situations and families and uh, Lord, that you would bring redemption, that you would redeem what, what, what could be seen as a very negative, bad Lord in ways that we may not see, Lord, even for generations, Lord, that we may not see even in our own lifetime. Lord, for Judah and Tamar in their life did not see the significance of, per of uh, Peretz. Until It did not happen until many generations later. And so, Lord, may we realize that you may be at work in, in situations in our children and our grandchildren and our loved ones and friends, even beyond our own lives. Lord, thank you for that hope that we, we pray in Messiah's name.